This is Sarah Stewart-Holland. And this is Beth Silvers. Thank you for joining us for Pantsuit Politics. you so much for joining us today. Georgia is having its Senate runoff as this episode comes out. So if you are an eligible voter in Georgia and haven't done it already, please go make your voice heard. We'll be talking about the results of that as soon as we have them. But today we are going to do sort of an old school, whatever we're thinking about discussion at the top of the show. We hit on the artist formerly known as Kanye West. We hit on the Democrats' decision to change their primary calendar. We talk a little bit about former President Trump and a little bit about this strange attack on infrastructure that has left people without power in North Carolina. Then we are going to turn to a topic that encompasses so many issues we love to discuss here, infrastructure and the economy and the balance of power between employees and employers and the role of government. We're talking, of course, about Congress acting to avert a railroad strike How is that possible? Why did it happen? What might come next? We're going to dig into all of those questions and outside of politics because we go hard in our families at Christmas time. We're going to share some of our favorite holiday traditions. If you're doing holiday shopping, don't forget to check out our favorite things guide of 2022. Maggie gathered up all the links of our favorite things from throughout the year and put it in one place for you. We've even added a few things over the past few weeks that you all have asked about. So if you've checked it out when we first released it, you might want to take another look and see if anything new is just the right gift for someone you love or, of course, for yourself. Next up, we're going to kick it old school and run through a barrage of headlines. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional support water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. To explore the bounds of your pleasure, new content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high-quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipseastories.com slash pantsuit. dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. 
Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Sarah decided she wanted to kick it old school today and just talk about all the things. We're going to start with Democrats proposing a real shakeup of the primary calendar. Now, Sarah, I know you are not entirely convinced that this will get through the full DNC out of the Rules Committee. But what has been proposed is beginning in South Carolina and following that quickly with New Hampshire and Nevada on the same day. So it is a very big change from Iowa holding the caucuses and then going to the first in the nation primary in New Hampshire. Yes, and then they're adding Michigan and Georgia early in the calendar. I read an interview with Representative Debbie Dingell, who's like, I, we've gotten this close before, and we got screwed at the end. So I think there's a lot of Democrats that are like, let's wait till the full thing gets through before we celebrate. But I know New Hampshire will put up quite a fight because their first-in-the-nation primary is enshrined in state law. But, you know, this is a big deal for us. I texted you and said, can you believe that we witnessed— or most likely witnessed, the last First in the Nation Iowa caucus, which we attended in 2020. I know I feel a little bit sad about it because it was such an extraordinary thing to be part of. It's like Mm -hmm. the best field trip I've ever been on in my life. I loved seeing the caucuses. I had so much more respect for them after seeing them in person, even though we were there when it did not go well. It did not go well. But it was a really interesting thing to understand the generational work that underlies hosting something where the entirety of American politics and media descends on your state and seeing, especially in Des Moines, how every coffee shop is now where MSNBC is recording Morning mm-hmm. Joe or where this campaign is meeting its surrogates. And these this is where everybody takes off to go knock doors for this campaign. And here is the house that's hosted every Democratic president since Jimmy Carter or whatever. I mean, it's just a really fascinating thing to see. And it feels sad to me for Iowa to lose that, even though I think even people in Iowa while we were there were saying, probably this is it. Uh, Mm -hmm. It also feels hard to me in the span of just two years for South Carolina, Nevada, Georgia, Michigan to get prepared for the drastic spotlight that will be on those states if this calendar goes through. I loved our time in Iowa. And also, I'm not sad to see this change. The New York Times Morning did a really great write-up on the history of the Iowa caucus, which really took off with Jimmy Carter's campaign. He, like, lived in Iowa. That's how he became the Democratic nominee, basically. But it's, like, an important reminder. It's not always been like this, and so it cannot always be like this. You know, I hope Iowa celebrates this very important history and this very important role it has played in presidential politics and also acknowledges that things don't always stay the same, as I am constantly saying. There's no stasis in American politics. And we have experienced some pretty dramatic changes to presidential 
campaigns to presidential politics to these primaries. I mean, everything changed in 2016 when Donald Trump won the Republican primary. And it felt like in 2020, we were still like kind of holding on and pretending that everything hadn't changed. And I thought that was evidenced by the fact that Joe Biden did terrible in Iowa and New Hampshire and then won the South Carolina primary and became the president of the United States. And so I'm here for an acknowledgement that like this isn't some event that's set in stone that like makes us all feel a certain way. This is how we nominate a president. And as a Democrat watching the Republican Party sort of being held hostage to these extreme wings, having leadership from the top say, okay, that's not what we want. We are saying and articulating over and over again that we want moderates, we want people of color, we want more diverse input in our primary process. So we're going to make these hard changes to make those priorities a reality. It's incredibly, incredibly encouraging to me. And so I hope it makes it through to the full DNC. Well, it would be nice for it to shift every cycle because the country should get to know itself better. And a way Mm -hmm. to get to know the country better would be moving this around so that we see glimpses of what the diners look like, you know, in New Mexico as well as in Ohio. And, you know, to some extent, the Electoral College is always going to make certain states get more of a spotlight than others. But this is a really fascinating country to live in. And the more we travel it, the more I wish more people could have the experience that we do of really getting to spend some time in communities and get to know them. And to see when the process is there, like when it lands in Iowa and when it lands in New Hampshire, those voters take it extremely seriously. Mm -hmm. They recognize what happens when they set the tone in these contests. And for more of us to have that experience is a really good thing. Now, I do think it's strange that Joe Biden decided to weigh in on this. I feel like this would have been a good one for him to just sort of float above. No, I think that the way you get big changes is with big leadership. Like leaving this up to sort of a committee is hard because you need somebody to take the heat for some big changes. So I admire the fact that he's like, I'll take the heat. South Carolina was good to me. Let's do it. Um, Let's do what we say we wanted to do, which is, you know, put more emphasis on diverse voices and moderate voices, and let's move forward. So I'm here for it. I think it's going to be really great. I'd like that better from him if he were saying at the same time, and I'm not running again. So the primary process is going to be very important because we need, you know, a a good process to openly vet a big field of candidates. Well, I could make the case that he's doing this because he's running again and also because he's not running again. I think you could really see the motivation from either angle. And so I I can't really look at this and decide where I think he's leaning because I think it would be a really good change for Vice President Kamala Harris. And I think it would be a really good change for Joe Biden running again. So who knows? Well, We know whatever happens with this calendar, the Democratic primary is going to be extraordinarily different from the Republican primary. Mm. And that leads us to a constant tension that we feel here at Pansy Politics about how much to discuss former President Donald Trump. He is now officially a candidate for 2024. He is in classic form taking meetings with all kinds of horrible people and saying outlandish things. And it's just a struggle to know whether you treat that like it is small 
in the hope that it doesn't give him the kind of oxygen that drove him to the Republican nomination in 2016. Or if you say, we need to look at this because these things are very big deals. And just because we expect him to do bad things doesn't mean we should ignore their badness and all of the ramifications of him doing bad things. Yeah, I really struggle with this, not only with him, but with the people he's surrounding himself. There has been several news cycles. You know, he hosted Kanye West, now known as Ye, and Nick Fuentes at Mar-a-Lago. Then Kanye West, now known as Ye, went on Alex Jones' podcast in this truly horrible interview. And with, you know, both of these incidences— I have really struggled with, like, what to say and how much to say. Because, again, when they're, when these people are espousing anti-Semitism and white supremacy and borderline domestic terrorism, like, you don't want to give oxygen to them. You don't want to fuel further news cycles. But you also, in your silence, you don't want to miss the opportunity to condemn anti-Semitism. We're working on a show for this in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking to Yair Rosenberg from The Atlantic, who I think does some of the best writing out there on this topic. But it is, it's it's the further this extreme faction in American politics led by Donald Trump just circles the drain, it really is difficult to find analysis that you feel like contributes anything at all. Yeah, I mean, my uh, Never Trump kind of feeds that I follow are filled with condemnations of this and condemnations of current Republicans for refusing to condemn it Mm -hmm. in a full-throated way. And I think all that's valuable and correct. I don't have anything to add. This is horrific. It's irresponsible. It will create more violence. It will create a new generation of people who have hateful ideologies as part of their identities, and that is a tragedy. And I don't really know what else to say about it. What I have been thinking about, and I I do think I have started to build some scaffolding for myself around the sort of cancellation topic with Kanye, I'm realizing that I don't feel the conflict that we've heard from some listeners in denouncing what he's doing right now, even though I am aware that he is unwell. I don't feel that conflict, I think, because I've been able to understand that since I'm not in a relationship with him, I'm not even a big fan of his. I never have been. I I acknowledge that he has created some really significant music and been a very influential artist, but but I'm not a fan of his. So I don't even have really a parasocial relationship with him. So I don't have a relationship. So I really can see, even though he is a whole complex person. He is a person, he is an artist, and he is a brand. And his focus right now seems to be on himself as a brand and how he has rebranded. He changed his name. He's changed the way he's physically showing up for interviews. Like what he's wearing is a strong statement when he's out in public. And he has created this terrible logo for a presidential run that is overtly anti-Semitic. And I have no qualms about saying, as a brand, this guy is toxic. And I'm so glad Adidas dumped him. I'm so glad CAA dumped him. I think it's very important that we not give any oxygen to this brand. And, And I think that that has kind of been an aha moment for me because 
it's the opposite of what often happens when we're talking about cancellation. Like, I will like the artist's work or the brand's work and then find out something terrible about the person. And it's just kind of making me rethink, like, okay, when I don't have a relationship here and I can't influence this person, I can't help them get help, or I can't personally say, what are you doing? Like, let's recenter. It is okay for me to sort of separate those things out and figure out what I want to contribute to and what I don't in their work. Does that make sense? Yes, that completely makes sense. And I think it speaks to sort of the increasingly bizarre behavior. I mean, the way he showed up with this for this Alex Jones interview with his face covered is just bizarre. Like, that's the word, right? His behavior is increasingly bizarre. And I think that's where people struggle. I think there's some, like you said, sort of sort of easy conclusions. The Republicans who are not denouncing Donald Trump and his ever-increasing extreme language, yes, they, they are in positions of power. They should be held to account for their silence on this. The people who have propped up Kanye West as his behavior has become increasingly bizarre, which is not a recent phenomenon. That's not a recent phenomenon. This man has been acting out for years. Adidas knew it. The Kardashian family obviously got a front row seat, and people continue to profit or prop him up for a multitude of reasons, and those people should be held accountable. Like, I'm not, you know, to me, as far as Adidas, like, I'm glad they dumped him. They should have done it sooner. Lots of people should have. And so I think that's hard to sort of detach from particularly the anti-Semitic part of this entire discussion because that's like it's that's its own beast and I like that's why I have so much respect for Yaya Rosenberg's writing and that's what we're going to get into it with him which is like this is its own self-perpetuating universe of thought and like it's not just about Kanye and to detach that and sort of take that apart is a really important part of this. But the the more bizarre his behavior gets, the harder that is to do, right? Because it just becomes linked to him. And I think that's why I struggle to talk about it, because I don't want it to become this all Kanye discussion or all Kanye's mental health discussion or all Trump discussion, because I think it's so important that it needs its own place. And we need to put some some of that intellectual scaffolding around it so that we can see it Hopefully, way before it gets to the point where Kanye's behaving the way he is and we're all like sort of dumbstruck by this bizarre behavior in which you are praising Hitler. Like it's just it's very, very difficult and in some ways not right. Like it's all it's all of that at once. Yeah, it's clearly not okay. And then once you move beyond this is unacceptable and not okay. It's hard to know where to go. It's hard Mm -hmm. to know where to go. And that's how I feel about this latest round of Trump saying that we should terminate the Constitution because he believes there was some kind of conspiracy at Twitter about the campaign. On the one hand, I know that Trump doesn't respect the Constitution. That has been very Mm -hmm. obvious to me since the moment he began running for president. On the other hand, it is really significant that he just said it out loud. And that he once again has declared to the entire world 
The only thing that matters to me is that I get what I want. Nothing else matters, including the foundational structures of American governance. They don't matter. And to have Republicans on the Sunday shows saying, well, I mean, it's not a deal. I'll, I'll vote for the Republican nominee. We don't want to look backwards. We want to look forward. I get it. You'd rather it not be Trump. But if Trump's the nominee, we know what you're going to do. You're going to get in line again after all this. And that's another reason I don't know if it's even worth talking about, because there is clearly no break glass moment. There's Mm. never going to be one. Until Republican primary voters shut this down, we are not going to see Republicans in positions of leadership do that. Well, and look, there is a similarity between Kanye and sort of like the entertainment industrial complex, right? Like, how far did he have to go before we had this break glass moment? Because there's been, again, so many red flags, but there was still money to be made. And look, I'm not saying that Kanye West has been exploited any more than I'm saying that Donald Trump has been exploited. That's not what's happening here. But there are these similar tracks where people are like, well, there's clicks to be had and eyes to be viewed, like eyes will take this in and people will spend money and sort of, you know, in this moment in American history and media consumption where it's just the extremes, it's the extremes and the conflict that gets you the traffic, that gets you the attention. I think you can sort of see, you can see the similar paths that these two men have been on and it's not totally surprising to me that they're ending up at dinner together with Nick Fuentes, who also traffics in that extreme, conflict-ridden, angry, victimization narrative that has now also swept up Elon Musk at Twitter, who released the Twitter files that led to Donald Trump spewing all this ridiculousness about terminating the Constitution. It's just like a big chaos tornado, and they're all a part of it. Well, and it's even worse than that within the Republican Party, because every time someone like Mitch McConnell says there's no place in this party for a person who is anti-Semitic, a person Mm. who is a white supremacist, it's just not true. A lot of the strategy to grow the numbers of the Republican Party and certainly to grow the enthusiasm of the Republican Party has been marketed around that very stuff. And saying out loud that you don't like it because you're a good, respectable Republican does not make that not true. And Mm -hmm. I say this as a person, again, who desperately wishes there was a good, respectable Republican Party that I could be part of. I think they are right right now about some of the budget negotiations that are going on, where Democrats want a lot more social spending and Republicans are saying, we have done an awful lot of social spending this past year and inflation has resulted. And there are still, by the way, big buckets of money out there unspent from past spending bills that we have done to combat COVID. Like that pump the brakes, let's talk about this, is essential. It's essential to have an opposition party that asks those kinds of questions, even if they don't win, right, that, that pushes it a little bit and says we need to have competing philosophies here. I desperately wish we could have that. But it's just not true that Republicans in Washington, D.C., in positions of power, have not flirted with and cultivated very reliable support among people who espouse very exclusive ideology. And they are unwilling to say this plainly because they know they need that support. They have danced themselves into a corner with it. Speaking of 
painting oneself in a bit of a corner. I just wanted to get your perspective, Sarah, on something that really surprised me. We are recording on Monday morning as we are receiving information about someone shooting substation in Monroe County, North Carolina, and causing blackouts for so many people. And I heard a national news network this morning saying that the belief is that this was motivated by anger over a drag show. And maybe it was. I have no idea. But I was shocked at this early stage when the FBI has come in to investigate with local law enforcement. And local law enforcement has said, we've interviewed some people, but we don't know who did this yet. We don't have the person. We don't, we don't know everything. I just thought that is a bold claim and a bell that will be almost impossible to unring if it turns out that that's not what happened here. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what happened. And I said that on the news brief, but I'm not a journalist. I'm just a a podcaster who makes a, a fun morning news brief for our premium subscribers. It doesn't seem to be a lesson that we're learning quickly, which is once you put that out into the ether in this time where, you know, conflict and narratives take off and and feed and breed misinformation that you need to be a little bit more careful. This story is bananas. And I think whoever did this and however many people did this are about to have the full force of FBI at their doors and are going to regret their choices. But it's scary to me that, you know, so this, this possibility of, oh, I can sh- shoot up a substation. And this is the havoc I can wreak. But I, I also have to believe that now that this is this has been presented as a a possibility, power companies all over the country are, are going to prepare in probably expensive ways that will be passed down to the ratepayers. Absolutely. And that probably has needed to happen for a long time. I wish it were not because of domestic terrorists. I wish it were because we understood that we have some vulnerabilities on the international stage that we need to shore up. And I'm sure a lot of that grid work is being contemplated now in connection with the infrastructure bill. And I hope that there's money there to get some of that done. Yeah, that's true. I'm worried about copycats here, though. I'm worried that once people realize, wow, you can get a lot of attention for this, that we're going to start to see it everywhere. And as the temperatures are getting colder, I don't think we understand how that's not just inconvenient. That's dangerous. It's dangerous for hospitals. I know most have generators, but like we're just in a situation where taking out power is is a tool of Russians in war. Like that is a very, very big deal. And it is not something that we should be doing here in our communities. And I don't usually have the like, let's make an example of someone philosophy. But I think that this does need to have the full power and force of the FBI involved to shut it down immediately. Because if we start to see this all over the country, that is bad news. So as we think about complex problems that require some investments and very competent governance to think about preventing further harm, we are going to take a quick break and then discuss how Congress stepped in to avert a railroad worker strike and what might happen next. Summer is here. Pack your bag with sunscreen, your emotional sport water bottle, and that steamy bee treat. But wait, don't stop there. This year, there's a new kind of essential that's right at your fingertips. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods, goddesses, Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut. 
to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high-quality and captivating audio fiction. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year is going by so quickly, and I had a little bit of a moment of panic about it this week. I thought to myself, I'm losing track of time. It's going so fast. It's going to be December before I know it. My kids are growing up, and I just kind of was spinning out. And I stopped, and I closed my eyes, and I pictured my last therapist, who I haven't seen since the end of 2020. But I remember the way he talked me through these issues, and I sort of channeled his energy I put my feet on the ground and thought, this is just how time feels now. And there's nothing wrong with that or right about it. It just is. But those skills that I learned in therapy are so important to helping me take a second to celebrate what's going right and decide what I want to adjust for the rest of the year. If you're thinking of starting therapy, which I cannot recommend enough, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot slash pantsuit. The second most stressful thing after planning a trip is packing for it. This is true. This is a true story. I have just told you the clothes I have don't fit. They don't go together the way I want them to or I'm missing some essential piece. And then I discovered Quince. It's my go-to for high quality vacation essentials. Like this premium European linen dress that's going to get us all through the heat wherever we're traveling. Blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, premium luggage options, and so much more. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than their similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to all of us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I got big plans for my Quince chiffon pleated skirt in Japan. They like a loose, flowy look over there to battle the heat. I will be adopting that strategy with that skirt. Pack your bags with high quality essentials from Quince. Go to quince.com slash pantsuit for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash pantsuit to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash pantsuit. Sarah, as I was preparing to talk about this, I was stunned to learn that railroads still carry 43% of all freight transportation in the U.S. It's just shocking to me. Really important stuff. Coal, which still provides a ton of electricity, chemicals, grains, cars, you name it, probably railroads are shipping it with more frequency than, than I could have imagined. Yes, I think the emphasis that all players, the president, Congress, the secretary of labor and transportation, the railways themselves, the railway workers put on this entire process speaks to what an incredibly important piece of our infrastructure 
this is, even down to, did you read that, like, the water treatment was at risk if there was a strike because they shipped the chlorine that we use to treat our water on rails across the country. I mean, again, the fact that everybody was freaking out about this is all you really need to know as far as the importance of railroads in our national infrastructure. And that integral tie that they have to our national infrastructure is why Congress has the ability to step in and avoid a strike. It's a weird thing that Congress can tell workers, you have to accept this deal. But that comes from a 1926 law, the Railway Labor Act, that is designed to facilitate negotiations among railroad workers, their unions, and the companies themselves. And it inserts a really meaningful role from a federal agency from the president and from Congress to try to allow those negotiations to happen without major disruptions to transportation. And it's been really successful. Over the past 30 years, we've only had two days of service disruptions arising from a a bargaining process among unions and railroads. Well, now I'm going to undo everything I just said, because, you know, that was 100 years ago before we had semi-trucks. That's why I'm a little I'm a little perplexed by this because yes, we still ship an enormous amount of very important pieces of our national infrastructure on railway. And also, now we have planes and semi-trucks and other ways to get what we need different places and it seems to me, you know, that labor was never particularly served by the incredibly powerful place that the railroads themselves played in our economy. You know, American history is rife with exploitation when it comes to not just the building of the railways, but the companies who ran them. And it's still just like a handful of companies. I feel like this is just one more example of what we're running up against in the American economy, which is, you know, this gap between the rich and the poor, is fueled by a lot of monopolies, just a lot of places in our economy where there are very, very few decision makers, and those decision makers are very, very powerful. And, you know, it is it is hard when you read about the particulars of the workers and what they're asking for to not feel hugely sympathetic for them when it comes to this particular negotiation. Yeah, you can understand how even though we have alternative means of transporting goods, railroads, sort of like barges, can just handle a different level of volume than a mm-hmm. semi or a plane can. And a different kind of material can be transported that way than on a yep. plane or a truck. And you can understand why unions have been important because the cost to open a railroad business is huge, right? The, the Operating expenses are driven not only by extremely expensive equipment to acquire and maintain, but then also you have fuel costs, which are going to vary depending on what's going on in the global economy. And the entire business model is derivative. So how much is being shipped because of how well the economy is doing drives how much money you're making to actually ship the stuff. And so I get the concern about keeping costs aligned to all the risks around the business. At the same time, it seems like the railroads have done much more than conservatively manage their operating costs here and actually kind of gone the direction 
that a lot of companies have gone. I loved this phrase from industry expert Rick Patterson. He calls it the cult of operating ratio. The idea that the best way to keep your profits high is to raise prices and lower expenses rather than increase the amount of business that you're conducting. That you're Mm. always just trying to keep the prices going up and the costs going down instead of changing your volume, the cult of operating ratio. I thought that so beautifully described the way so many businesses are being run right now and why it is such a problem for workers. Yeah, I mean, think (laughs) about the spot these workers are in. So you have this really essential part of national infrastructure that Congress can get involved in. You have a few companies that are very, very powerful who cut labor costs by like 40%, but somehow made record profits. Like you don't want to be left holding the bag as labor if there's a strike and everything is disrupted. They're in an incredibly difficult position and the way they work shows that. Like this is just basic quality of life. They work enormous hours with very, very strict attendance policy. They just want paid sick time. They just want to be able to have this flexibility that we all value enormously right now. Like I was just reading the other day that the online job posts looking from work from home way out past what's actually offered. Like this is where we're all going. We want not just good pay. We want a little bit of freedom. We want to be able to act like full and complete human beings outside this work. And there is not a lot of that when you read about the particulars of the men and women working on these railways. We have a listener who is the child of a railroad worker. She's now an adult, but her father worked on the railroad when she was a kid and he's still there. And she very generously shared her experience with us and said, my father provided really well for our family. And he also missed so many birthdays, so many holidays, so many events. Now he was written up for taking a day off to meet his first grandchild. Mm. When his mother died, he was not given bereavement leave, and he was severely reprimanded for taking time off to grieve her death. And she said that the least that railroads can can do, when you look at the the physical constant hard labor Mm -hmm. that they ask of their employees is to treat them like people and give them a little bit of room. And it looks like they could hire a few more people, not even get back to full capacity where they were. It looks like they have cut so far that there is room to add to this workforce enough to give people a little bit of space. And so that particular type of scheduling was really at the center of this conflict. If we all remember back in September, President Biden called this team together and was like, figure it out. So they struck this deal that mainly included pay increases and really did not get to solutions around this scheduling issue. And so four of the unions, including two very, very big ones, voted down this negotiated deal from September. So that's how we get to the point where President Biden has no good options. I do not believe that President Biden, who has a long history in politics and the most consistent part of that long history in politics is being pro-labor, suddenly sold them out. I think this is a classic example of what we talk about a lot, which is once you're president, the problems that reach your desk are impossible to solve. There is only a solution that makes basically everyone mad. And so that's what he's doing here. But I think that he will not solve this now and move on because it's not really a solution. 
I think that he'll go back and he'll fight for legislation that addresses this scheduling issue. I'd like to see him address this 1920 law that doesn't seem to apply as much as it did 100 years ago. That's what I would do if I was him to really prove, like, I'm here for labor. I'm not selling you out. But nobody, the president, Congress, the railroads themselves, or the workers, wanted to be, you know, left holding the bag for a strike that would disrupt our nation so dramatically. I did read some workers that were like, he didn't have to do it this early. Like, getting down to the wire was our negotiating tactic. But again, this is a this is an incredibly difficult situation. There was no way anyone, President Biden or anyone else, was going to, you know, notch some sort of big win in this situation. Those leverage points have to be kind of creatively managed by both the unions and the railroads because a quirk, another quirk of this 1920s law, is that railroad contracts don't have fixed expiration dates. So a lot of times if a union has a contract with a company, the pressure to get it renegotiated is built in because the contract will expire. That does not happen with these. These negotiations over paid sick leave of all things, Mm. other issues too, but that is the driving force, have been going on for two years. And so this kind of holiday window, end of year, when it is getting colder, like transporting coal for energy, that kind of stuff is so important. The unions use December 9th as a deadline for strike to create some pressure to get some movement in the negotiations, right? And that is what caused the president to say, we just cannot have that right now. Let's get Congress to step in and stop it. But it's true, I think, that that no one is happy here. We have the unusual situation of both the yeas and nays on this in the House and the Senate being bipartisan. And you had mm. some really bizarre voting configurations, especially in the Senate, where Bernie Sanders and, like, Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley all voted together, um, saying no to this, wanting to side with with labor here. That's how you know it's a tough nut to crack. I mean, I feel like this is, like— Literally an episode of West Wing. This is just an impossible situation where maybe you get a good monologue walking down the hall, and that's about all you can take away from it. Yeah, no one's happy. A lot of people are relieved. And there's a lot of work left to do. I liked this quote from Senate Commerce Chair Maria Cantwell. She said there are two messages here. One, this fight over sick days is not over. And two, we're going to figure out how to fight on another front. And I think that that's good. Like, You keep going, but you shift in a way that won't disrupt the entire economy at a very pivotal point in the calendar year. EarthBreeze Eco Sheets look just like a dryer sheet, but it's ultra-concentrated, liquidless laundry detergent. It's the best of all worlds. EarthBreeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and your skin, so it's good for sensitive skin. It reduces plastic waste. All of these things are true and amazing, but let's get to the heart of it. Y'all know I have a laundry system. You know it revolves around training children as young as possible to do their own laundry. EarthBreeze sheets feels like they were invented for this. Because littles maybe sometimes struggle with those big, heavy jugs. Or maybe you worry about the pods, but here we go. Here we go, y'all. Earth Breeze Eco Sheets. It's like the perfect solution. A child as young as two can handle these sheets. And even with toddlers, like you can get them involved. And this is a way to get them helping with laundry even before they could do it themselves. Ugh. 
God, I love it so much. Right now, our listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. That's earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash pantsuit. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing, you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. They even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. We do quite a bit of hosting here at the Silvers household, and I think there is nothing that completes a table for dinner. Like a beautiful loaf of bread and wild grain has made that so simple because they send gorgeous loaves of sourdough bread. Lots of spins on the ingredients, but always just this fantastic, high quality, easy to bake in 25 minutes or less from frozen bread that turns out perfectly every single time. I also have to tell you about the free croissants for life that come with your wild grain orders. And those croissants make the morning, your brunch, maybe your late night snack, flaky and like you're sitting in a French cafe and they're just perfect every single time. That's what I love about Wild Grain. It's easy, it's consistent, it's fully customizable. It is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. You heard me, free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit, or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Well, as we think about where we are in the calendar, Sarah... We were going to talk outside of politics today about some of our favorite traditions. I wondered what your favorite childhood tradition is, especially if it's one that you have left behind, like if it's one you no longer celebrate as an adult. My family time was not filled with a lot of traditions, and I think that's why I've crafted so many as an adult. We had traditional family gatherings. My holidays were really, really driven by the gathering of my mother's extended family, the Skidmore family, and the Allen family. So, like, that was—those were the holiday traditions. We go to my great-grandmother's. We play Dirty Santa with the big extended family. We go to my grandmother's house. We have lasagna with all my mother's brothers and sisters. So, like, those were the big traditions. But as far as just in my house with my mom and my stepdad, we didn't have a lot of— big traditions. And so I have I have leaned all the way in with my kids and we have very 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 many <laughs> holiday traditions. What about you? Did you have a lot of holiday traditions growing up? 
You know, my growing up around the holidays is much like the rest of my growing up. Like the church was a very central Mm -hmm. driving force of our social lives. And so what I remember the most as a kid about the run up to Christmas was the Christmas cantata. It was like Mm. my Broadway moment. I lived for the Christmas cantata. (laughs) We practiced all the time. And I always loved it because even as a kid, I usually got to sing with the adult choir. And I thought that was so much fun. I loved the costumes. I remember the music. My parents would always put like the cassette tape in the tape deck in our car. So we listened to the cantata music when we were driving anywhere. It was just, it was a beautiful part of my childhood. And I do miss that. I was thinking the other day, when would I make that happen now? Like if I were to be in a Christmas cantata as an adult, when would I go to practice? How would I even do it? How did those adults do it? But everybody made it a priority and it was it was so much fun. And I love those memories of going to practice and then going out to eat with my parents' friends from church afterward, you know, maybe having like a church basement meal after the big performance. It was just, it, that was a really beloved part of my of my youth. I asked my kids the other day in the car, what's their favorite holiday tradition? Two kids answered that their favorite tradition is one Nicholas and I have been doing since we were dating. We just did it one year, and I was like, let's do it like this every year. We eat a pizza, and we watch a Christmas story while we decorate the tree. And that was Felix and Amos's favorite holiday tradition. But one of them is one we haven't done every year, but I guess they love it. So maybe we need to really focus <laughs> on making sure we do it every year. But sometimes it shifts a little bit depending on my extended family gatherings. But we eat fondue on Christmas Eve after the Christmas pageant at our church. And I love I love the Christmas pageant in our church on Christmas Eve. I just love all of those sort of liturgical traditions. We also have an Advent walk in my community, which I love. One Sunday is Christmas Sunday. One Sunday is St. Nicholas Sunday. So a lot of that, I think, a lot of our traditions are built out of the liturgical calendar, which I did not grow up with because I grew up Southern Baptist. Yeah, we have a beautiful Christmas Eve service at my church. We have a candlelight service, more traditional, and I love it. And then at 4 o'clock, we have a family service that is so much fun. The kids do a nativity, but Mm -hmm. every kid who comes gets to pick like a little miniature costume so that they can be sheep or uh, wise ones or whatever. And and it's just really fun how— uh, they try to bring sort of everybody in the building into the story at that 4 o'clock oh, service, fun. and I, I do really love that. But wider than our community traditions, we have a lot of family traditions, but I don't even know if my kids recognize them. You know, like I read my dad's copy of The Night Before Christmas on Christmas Eve. I don't know if they recognize that as a tradition, even though I do. Um, we wear matching pajamas. I think they would definitely recognize that one. But a lot of them, it's just it helps give me structure around the holidays. It's not like I'm really attached to any single one. I just love that this is a time of year where I can put emphasis on our family life and all those decisions are sort of made for me. Like we went back to Tech Shabbat this weekend for the first time in a long time and I thought, this is why I love this because I'm very intentional about our time together as a family. And I think that's why I love this time of year is because those traditions create those triggers, right? Where I'm like, oh, right, this is this is like the top priority is we're spending quality time together and we have all these decisions sort of pre-made as opposed to where we kind of all drift off to our different quarters of the house to watch our own screens. I love making cookies with my daughters. And I told Ellen that I had Chad pick up molasses at the grocery store this week and her eyes got really big and she goes, I don't know what molasses is, but that sounds exciting. <laughs> I said, well, we're going to make gingerbread. And she was like, yes, I love making gingerbread. Does she like to eat gingerbread? Not really. But we love to decorate the cookies. It's a lot of fun. 
Yeah, we have a holiday tradition where my very, very good friend since childhood, Mr. Dylan, comes over and we make Christmas cookies with him every year. And I love, I love decorating the cookies. I love making my own Christmas cookies heavy on the almond extract. It's just, you know, but that's again, that's not a thing I do. Throughout the year, even though I always think like, oh, I want to make ice cream this summer. I want to, you know, decorate Easter eggs. But they just don't happen this time of year and the traditions around it just have their own momentum. Well, we hope that you are finding lots of space for fun in your homes, whatever you observe or however you spend your Decembers. Just a reminder that we are going to have our holiday party for premium members on December 15th. If you subscribe through Apple Podcast subscriptions, please make sure that you've shared your email address with us so that we can get you access. The link is in the show notes. We hope to hear from all of you about all your thoughts on today's conversation. You can send those to hello at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com, and we'll be back with you on Friday. Until then, have the best week available. Pantsuit Politics is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. Elise Knapp is our managing director. Maggie Penton is our community engagement manager. Dante Lima is the composer and performer of our theme music. Our show is listener-supported. Special thanks to our executive producers. Martha Brunitsky. Allie Edwards. Janice Elliott. Sarah Greenup. Julie Haller. Helen Handley. Tiffany Hassler. Emily Holliday. Katie Johnson. Katina Zuganellis-Kasling. Barry Kaufman. Molly Kors. Catherine Vollmer. Lori Ladau. Lily McClure. Linda Daniel. Emily Neasley. Tawny Peterson, Tracy Putoff, Sarah Ralph, Jeremy Sequoia, Katie Steigers, Karen True, Annika Uveline, Nick and Elisa Valelli, Amy Whited, Emily Helen Olson, Lee Shea McDonough, Jeff Davis, Melinda Johnston, Michelle Wood, Joshua Allen, Morgan McHugh, Nicole Berkless, Paula Bremer, and Tim Miller. <laughs> I'm struggling. Hold on. I'm trying to decide what I want to say. Um, my brain has stopped working. Hold on, everybody. It'll come back online in just a minute.